This is episode 73 with Joe Rinaldi. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I am your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Joe Rinaldi, a fellow performance coach, physical therapist, and former football team walk-on at Bucknell University. Joe has a truly unmatched work ethic, something I don't say lightly given the people that I've gotten to know over the years here. He does a phenomenal job prioritizing his time and his energy, and it seems to be doing all of this despite slowly losing his eyesight since the age of 10 years old. His story is a powerful one, and I guarantee one that changes how you show up in this world. So please, welcome on Joe. We got Dr. Joe Rinaldi on the podcast. Joe, welcome. You're giving me a little deja vu because we were sit- I was sitting in the same spot. I think you were sitting in your same spot about a mm-hmm. week ago recording on the Pursuit podcast, which if people haven't checked out, definitely worth a listen or 13, 14, however many episodes you guys have at this point. So welcome. Tables are turned, my friend. I'm excited to interview you and pick your brain and share your story with my audience here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. It's exciting to get to have this conversation. I'm sure we'll touch on some of the same things, but also some some new stuff and I'm pumped for it. Yeah, man. You are one of those people genuinely that every time I speak with, I wish it was recorded because there's just Mm -hmm. so much insight and and knowledge there with every exchange. So I'm, I'm glad we're finally going on the record with our conversation and, and sharing your journey with people. That being said, how did you get here, man? Like what's, what's Joe's story? I've heard it a few times, but every single time I have a new takeaway. So you know what? It's funny because you brought this up when we recorded on our podcast that like you tell your story so many times that it just feels redundant, but you have to keep in mind that there's a new audience. So if you've heard this before, excuse me, but I'll give you the medium version. My name's Joe, Joe Rinaldi. I'm 26 years old. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, lived down in Philadelphia with my wife, Michaela, who's also a physical therapist. To really understand my story, I kind of have to take you guys back to when I was a child. I woke up one morning as a 10-year-old and just couldn't see out of my right eye. And it really took me by surprise and really caught my entire family off guard. And so we scrambled, we, we saw a bunch of different specialists, ended up finding this retinal specialist in New York City, and they diagnosed me with something called Best Disease. And so Best Disease is essentially early onset macular degeneration. And for anybody who has no idea what I just said, essentially, I'm losing my sight. I've been losing my sight since I was a child, and there's really not much I can do about it. You know, it ebbs and flows. I have good seasons and bad seasons. And when things flare up, I can get treatments. And the treatments basically stop things from getting worse, but they don't restore the sight that I lost. And so I struggled with that throughout my childhood. Um, It was a really heavy burden for me. And I think it really held me back for most of my life. And it wasn't until I went to graduate school or right before I went to graduate school where this shift started to happen in my perspective and my mindset and how I viewed things. And I can fast forward to today where I genuinely mean it when I say I'm grateful that I'm going blind and that my condition is truly a blessing and it's no longer a burden. And we can dive more into that. I know it's kind of a shocking statement, but I mean it with all my heart. And that's kind of where I am now. Joe Rinaldi, the guy who's grateful to be going blind. Dude, I I love it. I love your outlook and I love your perspective on life first and foremost. 
there's obviously you gave the medium version. I think that was not even that. I think that was the super, <laughs> super short version of your story. Knowing what I know, it's mm. you had athletic backgrounds in there as well, which, you know, is always a, you know, prerequisite to come onto this podcast, <laughs> as I like to say, but talk to us about your experience, man, with walking on at, at Bucknell. That wasn't an easy thing to do. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And like, I should mention that growing up sports was a huge part of my life and they they still are today. And so baseball was my first love. My dad played baseball into college. I grew up with him as my coach and, and playing that sport and loving it. And right around when I was 10 years old and I started to lose my sight, baseball started getting a little bit more difficult. As you can imagine, it's hard to see a baseball with poor eyesight. When I started getting hit in the face with enough baseballs, it made me rethink things. And I shifted gears to football, particularly defense, because you didn't really need to see the ball that well. You can just tackle people. And I love that about football. I'm not an aggressive guy. Like I'm probably one of the most optimistic, caring, loving people you ever meet, but If you've ever played football, you just know it feels so good to hit somebody. And anyway, I played football throughout high school, really enjoyed it. Also pole vaulted and threw javelin a little bit. And when I ended high school football, like I still have this really vivid memory. Me and a couple of my teammates sat in the middle of the turf field that we grew up playing on after our last game. And it kind of like sunk in that that was our last football game in high school ever. And like I sat on the field in the middle of the field with a bunch of other high school guys just like sobbing because like part of my identity was it felt like I lost it there. But it wasn't until I went to Bucknell and I realized that something was really missing in my life that I decided to walk onto the football team. And uh, we touched on this on, on my podcast, but I actually reached out to the track coach first to see if I can pole vault or throw a javelin. And he fought out, said, no, you're not good enough. And so I shifted gears, reached out to the football coach, sent a bunch of emails, sent some tape, met with him in person, and he agreed to let me walk onto the team. The experience was nothing but awesome. I mean, the guys on the team really brought me in and accepted me. They kind of took me under their wing and showed me the ropes. And I was nowhere near good enough to start or to compete with some of the guys on that team. D1 football, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Actually, a funny story. When I walked on, I was 160 pounds and they wanted to get me up to 180 And I just couldn't put weight on fast enough. So I would weigh in with rocks in my pockets just to like myself a little extra weight and make it look like I was gaining weight fast enough. That was a short-lived football career at Bucknell because what was happening is as I was tackling people, I would get up and like my field of sight would just be completely distorted and messed up. I went to see a couple more specialists and they basically said, hey, if you're not going to play NFL football, which I wasn't, it would probably be smart to stop because you don't want to lose more eyesight than you need to. And that left me at a sophomore year of college, not having a sport to play and kind of feeling a little bit lost, to be honest. And that was kind of my athletic career up until that point. Yeah. I mean, we've talked at it at length between the parallels of our stories. I think where mine would also lose sight when I would have these, these hard episodes. Mm. I was fortunate that it always came back. I, I can't imagine putting myself in your shoes where knowing every time it happens, like it doesn't come back. It's just, it's gone. What was that transition like? I mean, out of sport being told, Hey, 
I know this is a major part of who you are and this is who you identify as. You already alluded to it with your high school career. Do you think having almost that foreshadowing of, okay, I kind of had to face it towards the end of high school, that it made it a little bit easier to not accept, but process at the end of your sophomore year when it's like, okay, I'm hanging up the cleats for good and like we're moving on. Yeah, I think in some ways it helped, but in some ways it was also more difficult than at the end of high school because at the end of high school, it was, I'm stopping because this is a natural stopping point because, you know, high school's over and that's what happens. You move on, you go to college. Not everybody plays the sport. But then when I got to college, I, I hit such like a high point in my life because I walked on to a D1 football team. I made all these new friends. I was feeling really good about myself. I was putting in a lot of hard work. And then something outside of my control stopped me. Whereas the first time it was, again, kind of a natural stopping point. But in college, it wasn't my decision and it wasn't a natural stopping point. It was it was more of a health concern. And so I think in that respect, it was harder. But I will say a lot of my athletic career prepared me for that moment because I started to realize in those first couple of weeks or months after I stopped playing at Bucknell that I needed something to pour myself into. And if it wasn't going to be athletics, it needed to be something that had similar characteristics to what sports gave me. And so what I mean by that was a place to work hard, a place to be dedicated, to be committed, to, to better myself, to challenge myself. And I found all of those things that I had in sport in the weight room. And so it became more of an individual athletic endeavor that was a little bit less structured than formal sport. But that transition for me happened where I stopped playing football and I ended up in the weight room. And I really found myself in the weight room, just spending crazy hours there. I mean, I didn't drink after my freshman year of college. And so everybody was out partying on a Friday, Saturday night. I was in the gym from eight to 12 until they closed like friends with the janitor type of guy. Like I was the only one in there, but it, it helped me. It gave me an outlet. And I think that's the transition for me was, was that. Yeah. I think we've talked about this topic came up in our conversation on your podcast. I know we keep alluding to it. <laughs> Check it out. You know, if you get nothing else, check out that episode. But finding that outlet and making it a constructive one, Mm -hmm. I think is a big challenge for people when they shift out, when that identity is ripped away from them, whether it is a natural progression, you graduate high school, you graduate college, the sport's not there for you anymore, or in your situation, somewhat, you know, specialists are telling you, hey, it's time. How did you? pick that being the outlet and pouring yourself into the weight room, pouring yourself into your studies, because I mean, don't sell yourself short there too. Like I know what it takes to get into physical therapy school and have the academic career that you had as well. How did you choose that and limit the distractions around you, the possibilities of the parties, the people Mm -hmm. that, you know, you alluded to the the things that are going on that most college kids are partaking in. How did you find that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are two parts to it. I think one of the things I loved about football in particular, you know, baseball is a very skill oriented sport. You need to be able to track and hit a ball. There are a lot of fundamentals and not that there aren't those things in football, but football was almost more of like a brute force. You get in what you put out, like you got to get faster, stronger, work harder than anybody else type sport. And I love that about football. So I wanted something, I wanted an outlet where I can do those things, where I could just push, put in effort, 
pour in sweat. And it wasn't something that was going to be limited by my eyesight because mm. I, I was kind of tired of that at that point in my life. I, I wanted something where no matter if I was blind or I could see, like I could still lift a weight. And I liked that about the weight room. The other thing that I really enjoyed about the weight room in particular, and just dedicating myself to the weight room was that it fed my addictive personality. And so I have like a very addictive competitive personality, which, uh, you know, kind of ties into why I stopped drinking. I just realized after my beginning of my freshman year that I was the guy who like couldn't control himself. Once he started, he just couldn't stop because I was so competitive and I didn't want to do anything halfway. So it was either no beers or it was like 20, like one beer turned into 20. It couldn't just be one, couldn't just be two. And same thing happened in the weight room, right? I would be in there at the extremes, like Mm -hmm. four hours on a Friday, Saturday night. And I loved that because it felt productive to me. And I thought, well, everybody else is out partying and having fun and, you know, getting hammered. They'll be hungover tomorrow morning. I'm going to get three, four hours in the weight room. And then I'm going to wake up early tomorrow morning and study. And it was just that cycle of kind of going the extra mile and doing the things other people weren't doing. I felt like I was getting ahead and it just reinforced and instilled that work ethic in me that I still have to this day. And some people might not call that all that healthy, but it was definitely an extreme that I at least felt was productive for me. I mean, the more I've had these conversations on this platform, the more I see the addictive personality is, for better or worse, a part of the athletic mindset. It's part mm-hmm. of what separates some of the the best athletes out there in the world and makes them who they are. And you can take it a step back and look at high performers and peak performers, Mm -hmm. no matter what the area is. It's a part of that personality. I think it is really admiring to see you recognize that you had that innate trait in you and choose to make it a productive thing rather than a destructive thing. Mm -hmm. Because I can immediately, as soon as you said, like one turns to 20, I thought of at least five different guys that I swam with in my time at Delaware that immediately came to mind. And I was like, wow, if they had the foresight and the awareness that Joe had, their career would be way different than what it was. No, you know, no shade on them or whatever, but it's just, you chose a way to put it in a constructive way. So I admire that in you. How do you find that showing up in your life now? Definitely. Yeah. Before I answer that, I want to pay tribute to one of the people who inspired me Mm. to make that transition. And it's weird because I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'm a Knicks fan and the Knicks are just God awful. So I'm a Wizards um, fan. So we're not all that much better. (laughs) But anyway, like Kobe Bryant, right. And it's crazy to think that he passed away about a year. Like it just, this past year has been surreal and time just doesn't seem to make sense. But anyway, Kobe Bryant and seeing his work ethic. And the more I learned about him, the more it inspired me to go the extra mile and do things that other people weren't willing to do so that I can have things people weren't able to have and get places people weren't able to go. And I think if you, whether you're Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Derek Jeter, whoever you want to, the greatest athletes of all time, like they have sacrificed so much to get to where they were. And I wanted to do that, even though it wasn't going to be in sport, I wanted to do that in some respect. So those guys and some of the professional athletes that I really looked up to inspired me to do that. I think showing up in my life today, that work ethic 
is probably like if you follow me on Instagram or you know anything about me, I'm up at like four in the morning most days, uh, reading, writing, posting quotes online for people to see, coaching clients, working full time in the clinic. I have a wife spending time with her, just like I'm all over the place. And I'm very structured and I really prioritize my time, Mm. but like, it's just, I do so much and I love it all. And it's crazy to say that, but I still get that high of like, I am outworking people. And one day it's going to get me to this place where people are going to look at me and say, how did he get there? Like, that doesn't even seem possible, but it's those early mornings and the sacrifices that I'm making that I'm willing to make now so that later on I can, I can have this life that I, I really, really want to have. Yeah. And knowing you and knowing your work ethic and being, being fortunate to be in your circle and see it firsthand, man, it's, I'm not going to have any question 20 years from now. And, you know, those things start happening because they already are happening as a byproduct of these habits and routines that you've already cultivated in your life. I think what I'm really picking up on and, and hearing in your story in particular is you're very clear on the return of investment on certain activities and how you spend your time. Hmm. Yes, the party sounds awesome. It sounds like a great time in that moment. Mm-hmm. But what's the return on investment there in the yeah. long term? It, it, it feels great in those two hours, three hours that you're there. But then the next morning you're paying for it. Whereas the gym habit, it's like still hard work. It's probably less appealing, hard mm-hmm. work for three, four hours there. The next morning, you maybe even feel a little bit broken. You're a little bit sore, but mentally you're fresh. You're ready to yeah. go and attack that next thing. And you've done a really good job of just compounding those habits over and over again. You're just continually double down on yourself. Yeah. You've been investing in yourself and you know that it's going to pay off if it hasn't already. Because I'm looking you, at what you do, dude. <laughs> and like you mentioned that you glazed over it. Like you do a million things already yeah. and you do them all very, very well. I want to touch on your priorities. Yeah. How do you prioritize things? Because I mean, I've come to you with ideas. I'm like, Joe, you'd be perfect for this. Let's do this together. And you're like, I'd love to, man, but I can't. I got X, Y, and Z. This is where my priorities are. How did you get clarity on your priorities and how how do you prioritize things? Uh, That's another really, really good question. Before I answer it, because I'm going to lose this thought. One of the things that I think I've done really well has just been trusting the process. And I know people like, it sounds like this abstract idealistic thing, but do you know, Corey, how bamboo grows? I feel like you uh, might. No, no. All right, all right. I'll educate you and the rest of the world. Bamboo, right? You plant it, you dig up the soil, you plant it, it, you water it like one year, two year, three year, four year, five years, nothing happens. Like nothing even breaks the surface for five years. And then all of a sudden after five or so years in six weeks, bamboo grows up to 90 feet tall. And so what I felt like I've been doing over the past five years or maybe even longer has just been watering and taking care of this, these seeds that I've planted and maybe not much is happening on the surface, you know, Maybe in college, people saw me and like, why is that kid spend so much time in the library? Why is that kid working out instead of partying and whatever it was? And it's kind of a lonely place sometimes if I'm being honest, but I trust that I was building a foundation that one day, if not already, will allow for that bamboo shoot to just shoot right up 90 feet in six weeks. And 
It's like that trust in the process that almost sometimes feels illogical that I think I do really well. And, and we'll see, maybe, maybe it'll take 10 years, but I'm like very, I trust the process. So speaking, speaking like a, a true Philadelphia guy. Now, right? <laughs> yeah. The six, I looked at, worked out a little while for the Sixers. I don't know, but yeah. So priorities and who I want to be, I think when I look ahead to the future and I get asked this question quite a bit and it's changed, but above all else, like I don't necessarily care about work. Like, I don't care what my title is. Like, I'm, I'm not big on titles. Like, I know people introduce me as Dr. Joe Rinaldi. Or have it, and I don't mind it. But really, like, I just want to be known as Joe Rinaldi, like the person. And I think 20 years from now, like, what I want to be is an excellent father, an excellent husband, and an excellent friend. And so I have those things in mind. But I know that to get there, I need to build these other things and these other areas of my life to support those things. Mm. And so I'm very clear on the person I want to be and the value I want to add. And so I essentially, I want to leave every single place better than I found it and every single person a little better off than before we interacted. And so that's the energy I try to bring to everyday life. In terms of priorities, they've shifted again recently because I've been married now for eight months. And my wife has went from a top priority to the top priority. And so well I said, yeah. <laughs> Michaela, if you're listening to this, you're my top priority, but no, it's, it's true. And it's hard. It's been a tough transition because for a while, you know, living in separate places, you know, it was just a, a 30, 40 minute phone call every mm-hmm. night. But now it's, you know, you come home from work and it's not like you can just talk to someone on the phone while you multitask or just do other things. You actually have to be present and I want to be present. So that's, she's my first priority. And then after that, I kind of go down the list of what do I really want to pour my energy and effort into so that I could be really great and add value to other people. And for me, um, that's writing, it's connecting with other people and guiding other people through coaching. And so I, I map that out. I sit down every Sunday and I put those things on my calendar. I definitely allot time every week for exercise, for podcasts and phone calls to connect with people like this. And then outside of that, I've really had to to kind of like buckle down and say no to some things that that sound appealing, but maybe aren't the most important when it comes to advancing the things that I'm trying to advance. And so it's, it's tough, honestly, to say no to things. But I've learned that if I just say yes to everything, I end up kind of with an empty tank at the end of the week, and then I'm no good to anybody. So I'm working on that. I just want to highlight for those listening in something that if you didn't pick it up, because it was really subtle, the way that you prioritize things is backwards to what we're taught. Hmm. You went from all things that you listed first, they don't make you any money yeah. or anything, you know, like anything like that. You went backwards and then the work kind of fell into place. Hmm. And I think you were a great testament that you can prioritize things that way. And matter of fact, you should, if you're trying to maximize your, your potential, maximize your life, we need to move away from that misconception that like the clinic hours come first. And then where's my time with Michaela going? Where, you know, where's yeah. my time to exercise, my time to write, my time to journal, my time. Yeah. You get really clear up front of this is where my time goes. And then the clinic hours come from there. And then the coaching hours get filled in from there. And, I think that's really a big takeaway that the audience can start implementing into their day-to-day life of prioritize that way. 
because it's working yeah. out for you. Man. And and I know you know Nick Pags, but we have we've had a couple conversations. He was on our podcast, and one of the things that he said, and maybe not in this specific language, was that like when you stop chasing the money mm-hmm. and you really you know put your energy and time into the building a strong foundation and things that are more important, like the money comes. But when you chase the things that are superficial, like you miss out on all that deep foundation building and brick laying. And like, honestly, some of the people that I've spent the most time interacting with have been on like a not-for-profit basis. Like I'm just getting to know people and following up with people and connecting with people. And those people like end up becoming clients because like they can tell that I care about them, not asking for anything. I'm just adding value. And then the benefit for me comes down the road and maybe it doesn't, but at the end of the day, if I'm able to add value to somebody's life, whether or not I'm compensated for it, like that's the goal. I would encourage anybody out there who's listening to set your priorities in that way, where you're focusing on the things that are most important, not just to you, but in life. And then the other things will come, right? The money will come. The recognition will come, but first you have to actually care about people. Mm-hmm. And that's really where my pro- priorities start is caring about other people. Yeah. I almost want to take it a step further. I feel like in a way it's really, I've, I've learned that it's the most selfless thing to do. This is be selfish with your time and energy. It's to show up for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm picking up with what you're saying as well. Like, yeah, you showing up for Michaela, like that's, selfish because that is a that is your your wife that's your top priority like that is your life right now and i think that's really where people can benefit from if they can reframe their mind to oh showing up for me is actually should be priority number one because i can show up for other people so much more when i do that first well said i agree yeah i love it man i love it i want to touch on vision Mm. and I love your definition of vision and how it's transformed and evolved from maybe that first moment at 10 years old and you were given the news of what you're, you're living with, with best disease. How do you define vision now and what is your vision for the world? Yeah, that's another really good question. <laughs> I decided this year that I am definitely going to write a book It's something I've wanted to do for a while, something that's going to take a while for me to actually do really well. Uh, But the title of the book is going to be something to the effect of bringing out the best as in best disease. So bringing out the best, how losing sight has given me vision, something along those lines. To me, like sight and vision are two very different things. Like sight is a very objective Like you can see the world around you. It's very like in the moment now, or even looking backward, but vision is like something you don't need sight for. It's grand. It's forward facing. It's imaginative. It's creative there. It's limitless. Like, and so the vision that you have is so much more important than the sight. And I think it's Helen Keller. She said, there's nothing sadder than having sight, but no vision or something like that. Coming from a completely blind person is pretty powerful. But so for me, I used to think of the two as the same. I actually used to say all the time, like I have really bad vision Mm -hmm. and I really try not to say that anymore because I actually think I have great vision. My eyesight is pretty poor, but, but I have great vision. 
And so as I've lost sight, I've realized that there are other lessons and other things that I'm learning and gaining along the way. And so as I've lost sight and I've struggled, like I've gained strength in other areas, I've gained perspective and that perspective has shaped my vision. And so my vision for the future for me is just to touch as many lives as I possibly can and to help everybody realize that maybe you're not losing your eyesight, but every single person on this earth is struggling with something. Maybe you've struggled with something in the past. Maybe you're currently going through something. And I know you will in the future because that's what it means to be human. We struggle and we suffer and that's part of it. But what I want people to realize is that it doesn't matter what's happening to you. It's all about how you respond. And as uh, Henry David Thoreau once said, it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. And so I've chosen over the past couple of years, especially to take this, what felt like a burden for a long time, my eyesight and flip it and view it as a blessing. And the more that I thought about it that way, the more I realized like, hey, this is truly a blessing because my eyesight has altered my path plenty of times in life. If I kept playing football at Bucknell and I didn't have a problem with my eyes, I probably never would have transferred to Rutgers. If I never transferred to Rutgers to study exercise science, I might not have went to physical therapy school. If I didn't go to physical therapy school, I wouldn't have met my wife. And so- It's just funny to look back and see how through some of the darkest seasons of my life in the time, it didn't make any sense, but I can look back now and connect the dots. And so it's truly given me this sense that everything is happening for a reason. And if I can instill that in just one person and they could truly believe it, I feel like that's so transformative that like my life would be complete if I could do that for one person. But my vision is to do that for more than one person. And so if I could like end that whole rant with one, one more quote, uh, Christine Kane once said, sometimes when you're in a dark place, it feels like you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. And so now every time I go through, you know, a dark season, a tough week, a bad day, whatever it is, I understand that I might feel like I'm buried right now under the soil, but whatever I'm going through is preparing me to shoot up like that bamboo shoot through the soil and just see the light and grow and be where I'm supposed to be. Um, I love your growth analogies, man. Uh, (laughs) I'm here for them. What I keep hearing with your story and the more I get to know you, and this has just been an absolute blast. We're, We're just getting started. Don't you worry. But I keep hearing that you refuse to take things at just the surface level. Mm-hmm. That there is, you firmly believe that there is something more to each thing. You refuse to believe that losing sight means you can't have vision in your life. And I think you're so intentional with your word choice, which, as we, I'm starting to understand and more and more like the impact our word choice and how we talk to ourselves dictates our reality and our personality and our personal reality from there. I think that's what I'm picking up on you is you just refuse to let the surface level be just that. Like there is more to everything. There's more to your own story. There's more to football. There's more to life than that. I want to come back to your thought on titles how you don't believe in titles, because I think that is huge. Where did that come from that you started to question? Like, I am not who they say I am. I'm not whatever the the piece of paper said that I am. And how do you balance that with celebrating those titles? Because those are things that people shoot for and their goals for people in life. Like I would love to be 
Dr. Corey Camp. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> has a nice ring to it. It does. I um, might go back. We'll see. <laughs> you know what? That's a really good question. And I think for me, I realized that, and I don't know when this shift happened. It was before I went to physical therapy school, but I realized mm. that so much of what I believed about myself was what the outside world was telling me and what labels I had and, and just things outside of my control. So I decided to take it in my control and define myself and not let the world do that. And I think like at our core, whether we're a coach or an entrepreneur or a doctor or whatever you are, like you are more beneath that, right? Like those are surface level things and they're very meaningful things and they should be celebrated. But beneath that, we are all people no matter what it looks like, no matter what somebody might tell you, like we all share the same fears, the same hopes, the same desires. They might look a little bit different or sound a little bit different, but like we all share this thing that is being human and at our core, like that's what we all share. So I view myself as like Joe Rinaldi, the person, the human being. And that's probably where that came from. But I think the title thing is interesting because I have a lot of peers who call themselves Dr. So-and-so and, and they, they use their title quite a bit more than I would use that title. Only time I think I've ever used it maybe is making a, a restaurant reservation once it kind of helped. <laughs> and then they find out you're a doctor of physical therapy and they're like, Oh, well <laughs> that doesn't count. But I think it does, you know, there's a lot of hard work that went into that title and it deserves to be celebrated. But I think when we let the outside world label us, sometimes we can lose sight of who we really are. And so I just took it upon myself to label myself at like the most basic level as like Joe Rinaldi, the person. And I think that allows me to connect with people because titles can sometimes like have this uh, thing attached to them where automatically you feel like someone is above or below you based on their title. And that's not the case. Like in my eyes, we are all equals and we all deserve the same respect no matter what our titles. And I think like there's absolutely nothing noble about being better than someone else or using a title to imply that you're better than someone else. The most noble thing we can do is just be better than ourselves every single day. So I kind of have a pet peeve when people use titles to position themselves above other people. I love it. I love that little story of you making a dinner reservation. <laughs> Only uh, once. Like, they're like, ah, well, and I'm sure like in that moment, you were kind of like, you stepped away from being authentically you and who you are yeah. as a person to like try to get something. And you were quickly humbled yeah. and reminded like, Joe, like, no, nah, man, like this is who you are in a good way. In a good it way. It worked though. It worked. But what I will say is like, I hate, and I'm sorry if this is you and you're listening to this podcast, but I hate when I'm like driving down the street and I see someone's license plate and it's like DR and a name like doctor, like just mm. to me, that is like, how, like, that's the least humble thing that I can think of. So I think another part of it is probably humility and just like, again, realizing not better than anyone else. We're all people, but that's just pet peeve of mine. I got a quote for you because I know you're a big quote yes. guy. Mike Posner, who we know as a artist, for you to, those of you that don't know, he's got a phenomenal poetry knack I did not to him. know that. He's, I'll send you one of his albums Please. that is just all spoken word. And one of the quotes that really resonates with me, and I, I'm hearing it in your story, is the first step to becoming perfect is realizing that you already are. And I think if we can adopt that mindset and that just way of living and being, then our quality of life 
is tenfold. It just mm. automatic. We're not waiting for permission anymore. We're not waiting to graduate from physical therapy school. We're not waiting to win the championship. We can step into that already. And that really is in a nutshell, how we should be living our lives. Like our quality of life just is so much better when we step into that instead of waiting for permission from the outside world to say, okay, you're validated now. And if you are able to internalize that truly and live that out, mm-hmm. that transition period, easy, easy yeah. money. It doesn't matter. You can, you can end your physical therapy practice tomorrow and you can become a father and you can do all those things that you want to do in that part of your life. And you will be just as fulfilled as you were as a doctor, as a physical therapist. What do you yeah. think? I agree with that a hundred percent titles come and go like at the end of the day, our, our, our lives are temporary. And uh, I think that's really sobering. Just one more reason to like take a step back and realize that life is bigger than just us. And I think that fact like allows us to connect with other people on a deeper level. Again, like we all have a finite amount of time and, and scary part is we don't know how much time that is. But at the end of the day, like we're going to lose all our titles. We're going to lose all our things. It's all going to be gone. So I'd rather not like place my energy in, in temporary things as much as I can help it. Mm, I love that. I'm a mm. firm believer that Success isn't permanent and neither is failure. And you're mm-hmm. gonna the sooner you can adopt that mindset and approach to life, the better off you're gonna be. I wanna end things off with you with a new segment. You're the first Ooh. one that I'm rolling this out with. We're calling it the fast five. It is five <sighs> quick questions. I need a one word or one sentence answer to each of these. First one being, what is your go-to podcast that no one has heard of? The Weekly D Show by my man, Dalton Lano. Brand new, one episode out. Check it out. That was more than one sentence. All right, I'll get better at this. That's going to be good PR for him. (laughs) That's for sure. I know you're an avid reader. You put me to shame with the amount of books that you consume and analyze. What is your favorite book in the past year? Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Good choice. Good stoicism there. Yeah. Quote guy, big on it. I love your, your weekly newsletter quotes. What is a quote you live by at this moment? People may not remember exactly what you said or exactly what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Maya Angelou. That's a fantastic podcast (laughs) quote, man. (laughs) Hopefully the people are feeling inspired by your journey at this point. I know I am. One thing you can't live without. Can I say my wife? My wife. Extra brownie points. Now she's got to <laughs> listen to this episode, my man. <laughs> Last one for you. Your one word focus at this point in time. Value. Adding as much value as possible to the people around me. I love that, man. I love that. I know you're not a big tattoo guy, but you know, maybe. Maybe that's the first one, right? Maybe, maybe. Actually, can I add just one more quote? Yeah. Go for it because I've got a million on my brain right now. I don't know who said it off the top of my head, but a river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. And I think if I were to get a tattoo, maybe in less words than that, it would somewhat resemble that as tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, Beautiful. I think you and I are the same where I've thought of stuff to to put on my body and I just can't find something that resonates deep enough yet to internalize that. But Good stuff, Joe. I appreciate your time, my friend. Like I've said 
time and time again, I'm always inspired by your journey and your story. Where can the people find more of you? Where can they get their daily cup of Joe? Yeah, daily cup of Joe and best place to connect with me is Instagram. So it's joerinaldi.dpt, doctor of physical therapy. Of course, the guy who doesn't like titles has a title and his Instagram handle. But if you can find me on Instagram, you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast. You can reach out to me. I promise I'll respond to every single person. And I'd love to connect with any of you guys. I love it, Joe. I mean, just to plug the newsletter there, I think that's why quotes are on your mind because you show up consistently and I'm blown away every Sunday and we're recording this on a Sunday for, for context, but every Sunday I'm blown away by the quotes that show up in my inbox courtesy of you. So I appreciate you making me a better person. I know our audience is going to be better just by this conversation. So once again, Joe, appreciate your time, my friend. We'll have to do this again soon. For sure. Thank you so much for having me on Corey. It's been a pleasure. Joe and I could talk for hours and hours with the insight and wisdom that he shares. I love how he clearly defines his vision in life as something that is not dependent on his actual eyesight. We tend to let outside influences cloud our own vision, so I challenge you to shift that moving forward. If this episode benefited you in any way, share it with someone in your life who could use a boost of clarity. Take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes. I love any and all feedback, and it helps us continue to give the best product each week. Remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you can change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.